Chapter 39 of Pieces of Hate and Other Enthusiasms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. Pieces of Hate and Other Enthusiasms by Haywood Brune. Chapter 39 The Tall Villa. The Tall Villa by Lucas Mallet is a novel, but it may well serve as a textbook for those who want to know how to entertain a ghost. There need be no question that such advice is needed, for all the interests of the present generation in cyclical research we treat apparitions with scant courtesy. Suppose a visitor goes into a haunted room and at midnight is awakened by a specter who carries a bloody dagger in one hand and his ghostly head in the other. Does the guest ask the ghost to put his things down and stay a while? He does not. Instead, he rushes screaming from the room or pulls the bedclothes over his head and dies of fright. Ghosts walk because they crave society, and they get precious little of it. Francis Copley, the heroine of the tall villa, managed things much better. When the apparition of Lord Oxley first appeared to her, she did not faint or scream. On the contrary, the author tells us, the breeding, in which Francis Copley trusted, did not desert her now. After the briefest interval, she went on playing. She very much knew not what. Discords, more than probably, as she afterward reflected. After all, Lord Oxley may have been a ghost, but he was still a gentleman. Indeed, when she saw him later, she perceived that the shadow had grown in some degree substantial, taking on, for the most part, definite outline, definite form and shape, that, namely, of a young man of notably distinguished bearing, dressed in, as far as through the sullen evening light, Francis could make out, in clothes of the highest fashion, though according to a long discarded coloring and cut. From friends of the family, Francis learned that young Oxley, who had been dead about a century and a half, had shot himself on account of an unrequited love. After having looked him up and found that he was an eligible ghost in every particular, Frances decided to take him up. She continued to play for him without the discords. In fact, she began to look forward to his afternoon calls with a great deal of pleasure. Her husband did not understand her. She did not like his friends, and his friends' friends were impossible. Oxley's calls, on the other hand, were a social triumph. He was punctiliously exclusive. Nobody else could even see him. When he came into the room, others often noticed that the room grew suddenly and surprisingly chilly. But the author fails to point out whether that was due to Lord Oxley's station in life or after life. Bit by bit, the acquaintance between Francis and the ghost ripened. At first, she never looked at him directly, but regarded his shadow in the mirror. 
and they communicated only through music. Later, Francis made so bold as to speak to his lordship. When you first came, she said, her voice veiled, husky, even a little broken, I was afraid. I thought only of myself. I was terrified both at you and what you might demand from me. I hastened to leave this house to go away and try to forget. But I wasn't permitted to forget. While I was away, much concerning you was told me which changed my feeling toward you and showed me my duty. I have come back of my own free will. I am still afraid, but I no longer mind being afraid. My desire now is not to avoid, but rather to meet you. For, as I have learned, we are kinsfolk, you and I, and since this house is mine, you are, in a sense, my guest. Of that I have come to be glad. I claim you as part of my inheritance, the most valued, the most welcomed portion, if you so will it. If I can help, serve, comfort you, I am ready to do so to the utmost of my poor capacity. Alexis, Lord Uxley, made no reply, but it was evident that he accepted her offer of service and comfort graciously for he continued to call regularly. His manner was perfect, although it is true that he never sent up his card, and yet in one matter Francis felt compelled to chide him and even tearfully implore a reformation. It made her nervous when she noticed one day that he carried in his right hand the ghost of the pistol with which he had shot himself. Agreeably, he abandoned his century-old habit, but later he was able to give more convincing proof of his regard for Frances. She was alone in the tall villa when her husband's vulgar friend, Morris Montague, called. He came to tell her that her husband was behaving disgracefully in South America, and on the strength of that fact he made aggressive love. Montague's voice grew rasping and hoarse, but before, paralyzed by disgust and amazement, Francis had time to apprehend his meaning or combat his purpose, his coarse, paw-like, though much manicured, hand grasped her wrist. Suddenly the room grew chilly and Morris Montague in mortal terror relaxed his grip and began to run for the door as he cried, Keep off, you accursed devil. I tell you, don't touch me. Ah, ah, damn you, keep off. It is evident to the reader that the ghost of Alexis, Lord Uxley, is giving the vulgar fellow what used to be known as the bum's rush in the days before the Volstead Act. At any rate, the voice of Montague grew feeble and distant and died away in the hall. Then the front door slammed. Francis was saved. After that, of course, it was evident to Alexis, Lord Uxley, and Francis that they loved each other. He began to talk to her in a husky and highfalutin style. He even stood close to her chair and patted her head. Presently, writes Lucas Mallet, his hand dwelt shyly lingering upon her bent head, her cheek, the nape of her slender neck, and Francis felt his hand as a chill yet tender draw encircling playing upon her this affected her profoundly as attacking her in some sort 
through the medium of her senses from the human side and thereby augmenting rather than allaying the fever of her grief naturally things could go on that way forever and so alexis lord oxley arranged that francis should cross the bridge with him into the next life it was not difficult to arrange this she had only to die and so she did all of which goes to prove that though it is well to be polite and well spoken to ghosts they will bear watching as much as other men End of chapter 39